0: I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 119, and we'll be looking from verse 89 to 112. We've been in Psalm 119 for some weeks now, and and today we are in this passage, 89 to uh, 112, and the... uh, the verse that I really caught my attention was verse 106. I have, a, I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. We'll come back and touch on that a little bit more, but let me just pray as we look into God's Word. Father, we, we thank you for your Word. We recognize, Lord, that this is your Word that changes us, that that convicts us, that encourages us, that edifies us. And so, Lord, today, may that be true for each one of us. Not of me, but of you. You be glorified, Lord, and you be the one who's speaking. And hide me behind the cross. In Jesus Christ, the Lord's name, amen. Just a quick review on Psalm 1119. It's a heartwarming psalm. It's a beautiful psalm that brings us back again and again to God's word to tell us what God's Word means to us, and how it, you know, builds us up, and it's an encouragement. It's a, it's a psalm that, where the psalmist is relatable. We don't know who the psalmist is. We think it is David, but some people believe it's Ezra or Nehemiah, but... The psalmist is relatable. He's talking about issues that impact us. He is going through suffering. He is going through challenges. And he brings it out in this this psalm. He has those high highs and those low lows. He has this emotion uh, that he puts in. He even cries out, Lord, do not forsake me. I mean, you would say... You you should know God would never forsake you, but he he puts words to not necessarily what is reality, but what he feels, and he is honest and and he says, "Help me, save me. I have hope in you." There is a cycle of suffering; it feels like that as he goes through this, but each time as he comes back to God's word, he sees that God's word is like a warm blanket for his soul. There's strength, there is comfort, there is joy. And so the, 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 the reason as we go through this, as we study this, is that we will be driven to God's word in times of our difficulties and our trials and our challenges. He says, "Oh Lord, the psalmist in, in my words are put as I read this, though I can't understand my circumstances, I can trust your commandments. Though these trials are difficult, I will hope in your testimonies. And this passage, in this verse, when I read 106, I vow to obey. The experience of the psalmist is that a soul that seeks to obey the Lord and keep his word will find that rest that he seeks. And so the challenge for us, in times of challenges and times of difficulties, will we run to God and find solace in His Word? Because, see, how do you how do you worship a God you don't see, a God you can't touch, a God you can't you can't feel? How do you how do you relate to a God? You can only relate to Him through His Word. And so, our prayer that our prayer should be that Lord, would You teach me? from your word help me drive me to your word and speak to me from this word just as uh, the psalmist was able to experience matthew henry who uh, most of us would know is a bible commentator uh, from the 18th century his father uh, philip henry he had told his children that uh, study one verse of the psalm each day and when you do that you would have gone through the psalm twice in a year And this is what he adds. He says, this will bring you to be in love with the rest of the scriptures. And perhaps that's the reason why Matthew Henry was able to write so much about the Bible. And so the reason why we took the psalm and we knew the theme will come back to us again and again about God's word is because we have failed in in, uh, running back to God's word to find our comfort and our solace but that this would be a good reminder for us. So, verse 89 to verse 112, let me just give you the four sections as I see it, and then we'll delve into this passage, all right? So the first one, uh, the psalmist says, your word is perpetual. Your word is perpetual. That's from verse 89 to 91, that your word is enduring. It will last forever. It's perpetual. Then in verses 92 to 96, he says, we see the word is perfect. It's not just that it will last forever, but it will also not change. It's perfect. And then in verses 97 to 104, is your word is purposeful. Your word does not change, but your word will change me. It, it has a purpose. And then in verses 105 to 112, the fourth section of the passage that we have Is that your word is a prized possession? It's a prized possession. There's nothing greater I can want. This is what I need, and so, oh God, would you, um, as we pray, oh God, would we be able to say the same thing about the psalm as what the psalmist says? So, look with me to the first section, which is uh, the word is perpetual. It is enduring. Okay, in verse eighty-nine, I'm going to have. Uh, Mark, read it out for us, verse 89. Forever, Lord, your word is God's word will endure forever, O God. The psalmist is saying, because your word is settled in heaven, it will not change on the earth. Your word, you're a God who keeps your word. Your word, you don't change. And That's a good place to start. A 17th century commentator says this, the Bible was imprinted at New Jerusalem by the finger of Jehovah and shall outlive the days of heaven. Run parallel with the life of God, with the line of eternity. Forever, O God, your word is fixed in the heavens. You see, this unchanging word of God is necessary for a changing world like us something that we can hook on and say i can trust this word and it doesn't it doesn't change first uh, 1 corinthians 1 20 that says your promises are yes and amen they don't change you you once you say it you do it that's that's a good place to begin the confidence that we have in god's word and then he gives two proofs as to why he believes that god's word doesn't change right so let's look at verse 90 uh mark right so two things one is your faithfulness they don't fail Your faithfulness has not failed. We can say that to ourselves, right? I mean, as we take time to say, oh, God, as I look back, I can see how faithful you have been. And the psalmist is saying, because of your word and I see what you have said of yourself, I can testify you have been faithful. And second, he says about the world. I look around the world and I see how the world is is standing by your word. It's your word that made the that keeps the world. Just hypothetically, if you were to think it's uh, it's evolution, evolution cannot hold on to this mess that this world is, and it's it's God who preserves. First, uh, in Colossians chapter one verse seventeen, we read that that you hold all things, in in, in Him all things consist. So, he keeps his word and the, the two proofs of the psalmist says, all things, time and space, they keep a space. For his word instills that all things will serve all his will to fulfill. So, I'll look around and that's two things that we can say. God's faithfulness and the way this world has been that affirms that what he has said will come to be and that's something I can trust and so what the psalmist does is this I'm going to serve this God I'm going to serve him because I can see that this is a God who I can commit myself to his word is perpetual but not just that his word is perpetual in verses 92 to 96 we see that his word is perfect God's word will not just, uh, God's word will endure, and that God's word will not change. In verse 96, it says, I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. You see, my understanding of perfection is maybe a limit. You see, I mean, if I think somebody is perfect or something is perfect, I, I have a limit to what I think perfection is. But your word is beyond that. Your word. Is perfect. Listen to this. Time and culture may seem to threaten the relevance of God's word. But like ships in a sea, that must change its course against this unmoving and unchanging rock face, the word of God, it's the changing culture and times that must that must change lest they be broken and destroyed themselves. You see, time and culture, they think that God's word is irrelevant and that, you know, God's word must be changed. But here we see that like the ships in the sea, time and culture, like these ships in the sea, that when they come to a rock face, they must change course because if they don't, they will be crushed. God's word stands firm. It's perfect and it will not change. Roman Empire is a great example, isn't it? Roman empire the 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 emperors were out to destroy christianity they stumbled on that stone and they were crushed themselves god's word and then when you get to let's start with 92 and 93 would you read that mark Right. He says about this delight. Your law has been my delight. Now I want us to understand this, you see, because uh the psalmist was able to find delight in the word because he's already found his delight in the Lord of the Word. In the if you have, if you say you have delight in the Word of God, that's because you would have you should have first find, you should first find the delight in the God of the Word. As part of uh, Gideon's um we, we had collected uh, great stories of how people had, were saved uh, by reading Bible that was left in the hotels. And uh, I, I saw this on video. I, you know it wasn't a conversation uh, or at a conference, but this video where Herb Opelek, he speaks about he was at a room in Boston. The airline had lost his bag, and all that he had with him was a prayer book and Mishnah. But he had gone through it so often, so at 1 o'clock in the morning, he couldn't sleep. He reaches out, and he finds the Gideon's Bible in the night table, and he opens out to John 3. John 3 is the chapter that he had done his dissertation on to be a rabbi. And he begins to read John 3, and the Spirit of God grips him, and that night he gives his soul to Christ and this is what it says when rabbi herb Opelek finally met the author of the book the very book that he had studied academically became for him the precious love letter that he could run for comfort he had studied it academically mentally he had all his mind but then there was a time when he met the author of this word and that changed him a delight with god's word is only when we have a delight with the God of the Word. Now, I think we have to ask this question, that if we don't have that delight, what is wrong? Is it because of some sin? Is it because uh, I'm not saved? Is it because I've been deceived? Why? Because why isn't it that God who I love, that I'm not able to love His Word? Martin Luther, just four for. Uh, years prior to his death, he had written this verse 92 in the, uh, the flyleaf of his Bible, if your law has not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. And at that point in time, you know, most of the work, the reformation work had, was done and there was so much of um, onslaught on him and, and he was able to say that if your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. The psalmist has understood Martin Luther says that Herb, this, this gentleman who was a rabbi, he has understood this. This is God's word, that we would find our delight in this. This is the living word that would speak to us. Unless, listen to this, unless we secure our delight in God's word during good times, we may not be able to find its sweet solace. In times of bad, in good times, if I haven't found this word to be interesting and satisfying and desirable, when I'm I'm crushed in my spirit, I would not know how to run back to this and find that comfort. And yet God might uh, draw you in that way. But generally, we need to say that this is where I need to go to, if, even if in my highs or in my downs verse 94 and 95 I am yours what a confident cry of the psalmist I'm yours you see he can say I'm yours because he says uh, I have sought your precepts no one can say to God with good conscience I'm yours unless you can also go on and say I have sought your precepts. We saw the psalmist previously say that he is kept alive in difficulties and in challenges. Now he is kept alive in deceit and attack. That are wicked are laying traps for him, and he says, "Because I sought of, so I considered God's word. I considered the testimony of God. These these traps that have been laid for me are of no avail. Nothing happens as a result." the psalmist was able to discern the intent and escape the trap because of faithfulness of him going back to God's word. And in verse 96, we saw that he learns, the psalmist learns this, there's a limit to perfection for anything and everything. We, 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 we are designed to go after what's perfect, what's beautiful. And yet, everything else that we see around has got a limit to it. And the psalmist recognizes that God's word is beyond my understanding of what perfection is. It's beyond that. It's the horizons of this perfection is far beyond my, what I lay as perfect. It's broad, it says. It's exceedingly broad in ESV. We think that God, God's word is very narrow, And that people are broad-minded. But listen to this. Strangely, many people think the Bible is narrow and think of themselves as broad-minded. But it is God's Word that is exceedingly broad. It makes us broad-minded, broad-hearted, and tolerant in the best sense if we read it and obey it. It's in understanding God's Word and who He is that we, we can have this width of our mind. The reality and the truth of who he is. And so what the psalmist does is he seeks. He seeks after God and God's word. Because it's enduring, it's unchanging, and that's the word of God. It's perpetual, it's perfect. And so he seeks after that. There is something about God's word that is far beyond what we consider perfect. And so he says, I will seek after that. I won't satisfy myself with lower goals but more than that God's word is perpetual God's word is perfect but now see from 97 to 104 God's word is purposeful it, it impacts me it changes me God's word does not change but it changes me it has a purpose when I come to God's word it's the unchanging word that changes me so as we look at uh, verse 97 Oh, how, oh, how I love your word. How has an intensity of contrast, intensity of comparison. That is, there is nothing compared to this with anything else. I can't compare this with anything else. My love for God's word is so intense. So intense. And so, may it be for us. The superficial Christian may read and understand and even have an outward sense to obey the word of God. But only the spiritual man loves it and they live as if they could not live without it. The superficial Christian, it is a duty to satisfy the conscience. To the believer, it is food and medicine and light and comfort, the word of God. Is life. It contrasts our approach to God's word, what we think about God's word, and how we, we connect with it, how we treat it, how we prioritize it, reflects the state of our lives as a Christian. Verse 98 to 100. You see, your word makes me wiser. The psalmist has said that. Even, even Daniel, you see, I mean, he purposed in his heart to, to obey God's word. It sets him apart, and that is what the psalmist is saying. It sets me apart. It makes me wiser than my teachers and then the, those who are older than me. It gives me an understanding. An understanding of wisdom, which is... Of uh, which is eternal, which has this eternal perspective, wise unto salvation, as we read in in Second Timothy chapter three verse fifteen. It also gives me discernment for life. It helps me understand. It, 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 God's word is not that he just go there and I, I find an answer to the perplexing question that I have by just reading one verse or two verses. But as I meditate on it and as I understand God's word, as I say, I'm going to be committed, Lord, that you would speak to me through this and you keep coming back to this again and again, God's word comes alive because it is alive. It is living, sharper than a two edged sword. So that it will give you that discernment. See, the thing about. It's something that we admire—I don't know—you know—you really think about all these uh, Hollywood uh, stars. I don't know who you were thinking. Somebody who you admire—you, you—you don't want that person who you admire to become like you. You strive to become like that person. That's what admiration is all about. And so, as we admire God's word, you can see how God works in you to conform you to the image of His Son. That's the power of God's Word. Listen to this. May we treasure the Word of God. Read it again and again. And as we drink deep of His Word, may the Spirit of God change us to be more like our Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist has found that God's word is sweet, sweeter than honey, not just like honey, but sweeter than honey, one or three. I don't know if you would say, oh, no, I don't like honey. You can put whatever phrase you like, you know, better than a juicy steak. I don't know what you want to say, but really what he's saying is there's really nothing. I prefer more. I found better. That is experiential. It is not being like, yeah, I get that in my mind. It's it's something that you have to experience. It's something that you would have to say for yourself and say, yes, this is true. It's worth it, just like the psalmist is saying. And so he's comforted. In 104, he says, through your precepts, I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. See, the effect of the word of God on me is unmistakable because it gives me that discernment to understand what is wrong, what is false, to run away, to, to have this discernment. We, we saw that from Hebrews, right? That, that the, the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, that it helps divide between the soul and the spirit, the, the emotion versus what God is trying to tell us. It's through the Word of God. It's through the Word of God. So firstly, we said God's Word is what? It is perpetual. Second, it is perfect. Third, we said it is purposeful. And now fourth, I want you to look from verse 105 to 112 that it's a prized Possession. It's a prized possession. Psalmist is fallen in love with God's word as he reminds, of him, reminds himself of what God's word means to him. And, and so, uh, verse 111, it says, Your testimonies are my treasure, my prized possession. But let's look at 105, verse 105. Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my, a lamp to my feet. And a light to my path. It's got two imageries. I mean I I, I I think we know it, but I'm just gonna repeat it again. You see, it's like when you're walking in a dark place, when you go camping or I don't know, you know, it's not a flashlight which lets you see too far out, but it's like the lantern that you would hold next to you as you walk and and it's just the next step that just lights up and you have to take that first step in obedience and in faith and in trust to be able to see the next step and that's what god's word is it doesn't give you a blueprint necessarily for the entire plan of god god's got for you but unless you trust he doesn't it doesn't work But second, I want you to understand when it says it's a lamp, it's a light. That is, when I read God's word, it's a light. It takes away darkness. It helps me understand what God's word is. That's what light does. God doesn't make it harder for you to understand his word unless you're in the Romans 1 situation where, you know, you've been rebelling and rejecting God's word, that he hardens your heart. But may it be that light that help us understand that we will have this increasing understanding of God's Word. And so our prayer is this, may the light of God's Word shine to reveal the darkest secrets and intents of our heart, and may it transform us like it did this psalmist. And so you get to 106, I have sworn an oath and confirmed it. I mean, look at this double emphasis He, he swear he, uh, there's an oath that is sworn, and it confirmed. I read that, and I was like, wow this is this is, uh, this is strong. We, we, we don't even want to take a resolution at the beginning of the new year because we think we're going to break it, and we, we, we just you know we stay away from that is because we don't have this confidence. I want you to. Uh, Think about the situation, right? I mean, think, let's say you say, okay, I'm going to write this covenant to God. Like, I'm done with messing up. I'm done with, you know, falling and failing. And so I'm going to write this covenant out. I'm going to write it out, and I'm I'm going to sign it with my own blood to indicate how, you know, how real I am about it. And then very soon you'll realize that you you do fall again. You do fail. You, you're not able to do it. It, you, it just becomes pharisaical. It becomes very legalistic. And you're unable to do it. It's not because of your blood that you're able to keep this oath. It's not because you signed it in blood that you're able to keep it. I want us to understand that it's because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of the indwelling spirit. That we are able to, the this, this, this psalmist is able to say, I com- I'm committed to this. I understand God's word to be real and true. I-, I can't just come to it and say, all right, I get that. But I need to obey. I need to say that this is real, and so I'm committed to follow it. And by the strength that God gives, because unless God's word moves us, we are treating it lightly. Let it be real. We're saying that if I can see all the goodness of what God's word is all about, will I be committed to it? Or will I continue to give a lip service? When I get to verse 107 to 110, you begin to see the condition or the circumstance of the psalmist. You see that, you know, the psalmist is actually, in 107 he says he's suffering terribly. In 109 he says, my life hangs in a balance. In verse 110 he says, the, the people have laid the straps laid out for me. They're like, I'm really in a tight spot. If this is where he's finally saying what his circumstances, he doesn't begin with it, he doesn't identify himself by his circumstance, but he is able to point to God's word and the comfort that God's word would give. And so as you read this, you begin to realize how emphatic how real God's word has become for the psalmist, you see, because God's word has radically impacted him, radically impacted him. Verse 108, it says, accept my free will offering of praise, O Lord. Accept my free will offering of praise. It's not a forced Praise, it is a spontaneous praise. It's natural. It's something that comes, even though my circumstances may not be ideal, but because I know who you are, your unchanging word, your perpetual, your perfect, your purposeful word, and because of that, it's a prized possession. And so I can praise you. It reflects the heart of a confident uh, person who's found the rest in the Lord. And so as you he, as he look there, that's why in verse 111, it says, your testimonies are my heritage forever. It's, it's like my heritage. I've got it. That's what I received. But it's also forever. It's my prized possession. It's something that I own. I love it, the psalmist says. And so in 112, it says, I incline my heart to perform your Statutes. Earlier, he takes an oath and he confirms it. Now he's intentional about it. He wants to keep it. God's word, we, we've heard this many times not just hearers of God's word, but doers of God's word. Between the hearing and the doing, we change the rules according to our own convenience. And yet, God says, No, that's not the way it works because my word is perfect. It, you have no authority. You have no Ability, you have no right to change it. You must do what I Mean it, but, but, you know, I incline my heart. I love that word. And it says the heart. He, he doesn't just say my tongue, my mouth, my lips, or my ear, or my eyes. He he begins with his heart. He says that's the abandonment of a will, abandonment of, he says, I, I am committed to it. Everything that I am, my center of who I am is committed. And I will perform your statutes, whatever it takes. What I know if you realize as you went through it from, from 89, just from 89 to 112, the psalmist actually lists 18 benefits, 18 great things, 18 things that God's word has impacted him. Let me walk you through that again just so that we it'd be a good reminder for us in verse 89 and 90 it says your word endures forever it's an enduring word in verse 92 it says your word kept me alive when i was sick verse 93 says your word gives me life verse 95 says you preserve me from the hands of the wicked who wanted wanted to destroy me verse 96 and 97 it says your word is perfect and I'll, i'm in love with it verse 98 says you make me wiser than my enemies and 99 says you give me more understanding than my teachers verse 100 says and more understanding than the aged verse 102 says your word helps me on the straight and the narrow Verse 103 says, your word is pleasant to me and I enjoy it. Verse 104, it helps me to hate every false way. Verse 105, it's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Verse 106, your word is righteous. Verse 107, your word gives me life when I was suffering. Verse 109, it holds me together even when all and everything seems to fall apart. Verse 110, your word shows me how to escape the trap that the wicked lay for me. In verse 111, your word is a heritage and a prized possession. In verse 111, your word gives me joy in my heart. You see, what the psalmist has done in spite of his circumstances, he's reminded himself of the benefits of what God's word has meant to him. We can read through this so quickly and maybe not catch on the heart of the psalmist. And the psalmist is saying this again and again. He writes the longest psalm to tell us about this prized possession of God's word in our hand that that would be real for us but what does the psalmist say I'm going to do as a result of that six times six times he says I'm going to obey in this passage 89 to 112 six times if your word is is beneficial if your word is good for me if your word is perfect if your word is enduring if your word is purposeful if your word is indeed my prized possession then i'm going to obey it it demands a response and so in verse 91 it says, I'm going to serve you. By your appointment, they stand this day. For all things are your servants. That means including me. I'm your servant, O oh God. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to obey you. You tell me to jump, I will ask how high, maybe. But I will jump. This complete giving in to God. Of what he heard from God's word. Verse 94, I'm yours, save me. For I have sought your precepts or the other translation that says I work hard to obey you verse 95 the wicked lie uh, lay in wait to destroy me but I consider your testimonies I will concentrate on obeying your word 101 I remain obedient to your word 106 I will obey your righteous regulations 109 I will not stop obeying your instructions. Well, I don't know the psalmist was, like some of us who do this cost-benefit analysis, well, there's a cost to obeying God's word and the benefits of obeying God's word. If that's what the psalmist has done, you know what the benefits far, far, far outweigh anything that we can return back to God. He lays his heart out, he tells us. And so we, I have two questions for us today. Two questions that will help us continue to think on this, that let me be true to this plea, this urgency with which uh, the psalmist is, uh, is uh, describing about God's word. The two questions are this. What will you say if someone were to ask you to describe two ways in which the word of God has helped you in your Christian way, your Christian life? What would you say? Someone says, give me two reasons, two ways. Two ways how God's word has helped you to live a Christian. Live as a Christian. Think about it. Two ways. If someone would ask you, if it's a prized possession, you would have that. The second is, as we see from the psalmist, what intentional and practical steps, like the psalmist, have you taken to obey God's word? We've seen the benefits in this passage from 89 to 112. There are 18 benefits. And the psalmist takes some intentional steps to obey. The question for us is, what would be our intentional steps? to obey what God demands of us. May his name be glorified. Father, we we come to you, Lord, with gratitude, with thankfulness for making us your children and giving us your word and uh, giving us the Lord Jesus Christ, giving us your spirit who indwells in us, making it possible for the very first time when we came to know you, that we can follow in your steps. We can can love your precepts. We can love your law, your commandments. No more are they strange to us. No more are they irksome to us. No more are they impossible for us. But through Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God who dwells in us, we can be who you want us to be. As you change us, Lord, to be conformed like your son, we pray that increasingly we would say that I, I went running back to God's word as I was praying and as I was speaking to him and I heard God speak to me. And I know what he wants of me in my life. And that, uh, that interaction with God's word would be real just like this of the psalmist. May that be true for all of us, Lord. For all of us. Because there's no other place we can go to to hear from you except from your word. So we thank you that this is a prayer that you desire to fulfill, that you will answer in our lives. As we commit, as we take a vow to obey, because we committed to it, may it be glorified in our lives. In Jesus Christ, our Lord's name, and all God's people said, Amen.